You're listening to Badass Lady Folk, a podcast about socially engaged women and NB femmes kicking buns big and small. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. The intro music came from the song Talking Hands by Toxic Moxie. And yes, in case you're wondering, this is a reboot of the Badass Lady Folk of Brooklyn, which premiered on Radio Free Brooklyn in 2016. Now, Quail Bell Press and Productions is producing this podcast for and about incredible women and non-binary femmes from around the world. I'm still based in Brooklyn, but I'm expanding my geographic scope for unedited conversations with dynamic lady folk from everywhere. This episode's guest is Audrey Garrett, an undergraduate at Virginia Commonwealth University. Go Rams! She's studying English and Spanish. Her goal is to one day get her cartoons published in The New Yorker and teach English abroad to put her Spanish and English majors to use. Welcome, Audrey! Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Yay! Yay! So for those who don't know, VCU is based in Richmond, Virginia. That is where Audrey is now, but she's a native Washingtonian. We will be getting to that later on in the show. But first, I want all of our listeners to know about Audrey's really adorable, funny, and smart comics. Uh, She's on Instagram at Draws, and that's A-U-J-J. D-R-A-W-S. Okay, Audrey, tell me how you got started with making comics. Um, Well, I always draw. I always drew in school because I had trouble paying attention. And then um, when I graduated high school, I went to college for my first two years in California, San Diego, beautiful, beautiful city. And my older brother was a senior at that school. I was a freshman and he was the editor in chief of the newspaper. And he was like, I have so much space in this newspaper and I need to fill it. And I have a sister who goes here and can you please draw comics or graphics for me? (laughs) And I was like, no, no, it's too intimidating. I can't, I can't do that. Like the first semester I did it, I didn't even sign my name because I was so embarrassed. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the worst. Not even like anyone read the newspaper, but I was still so embarrassed. Um, And I would just do like political cartoons or like campus funny stuff about like food, cafeteria, anything, or like Trump ones. That was always fun for teachers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And that's how, that's how I got started. Yeah. That was, that was the beginning. So your brother was encouraging you, but he was also very desperate. It sounds like. Yes. Yes, it was. There were too many pieces of paper in that newspaper for the writers. They had like a staff of like four writers and they were like, there's 12 pieces of paper. We must, it was like, they had to, they had extra space. So that was good for me. Yeah. So what was your relationship growing up as brother and sister? Did you ever make things together, like creative projects? Um, we used to make music videos for our family, but that was more just because he was really into guitar and I would just like make backgrounds while he was playing guitar, like interpretive backgrounds. Like I would like, he would sing about like animals or something. I would like get like animals in the back, like as like a puppet. I don't know. I don't know. Some weird lazy days. We didn't have anything else to do. Um, But music we did together. And then also we would do like, I think we did some like writing together because he's a journalist and I like creative writing. So we would kind of like collab on stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that's lucky that you were open to that at a young age and that you had a sibling who wanted to make things with you. I know, yeah. And still boss you around at college. (laughs) I know, he was my boss. And I was like, oh my God, my brother is my boss. (laughs) Yeah, but you also stepped up to the plate. You didn't have to do that. (laughs) You could have said, no, you're on your own. Something else, yeah. All right, so what do you love about comics? 
Um, they're how I think. Like when I study, I draw what I'm learning. So it's like how I visualize like all my thoughts are what I learn. So I don't even think a lot of time about publishing them. Like I journal like that or I just think like that. And then I'm like, well, I have an Instagram. Like I guess I'll post it. Like I guess I'll like show someone else. Um, but I definitely get a lot of like nervousness before because I'm like, well, that's like my subconscious thoughts. And now people know what I think. Of, like, it's just like a nervous thing. But um, I love making other people laugh like in conversation. But if I could do that without having to see them all at the same time, that'd be great. Like, I don't think I, I think I would get stage fright if I like said a joke in front of all my followers on Instagram. I would definitely get like nervous. But um, if they do make people laugh, which I don't know, um, that's just like a nice thought for me, like something I drew or something I thought of, like made someone read something more. If it's in the newspaper, that's like especially a, a thing, like you see the cartoon, they're like, oh, I'll read the rest of this. That's my main goal. And then I also love reading them. I, I have like so many books in this room are just like comic books like that are funny. I don't know. Yeah, I love them. Yeah, so how is posting your comic, any of your comics work on Instagram different than publishing something in the student newspaper? Do you, yeah. like, do you well, get any kind of feedback or? Uh, well, yeah, I, especially on Instagram, it's like, it's like with anything that like you can post something and you're like, oh, anyone like it? Like, did anyone uh, comment on my like thing I posted? Like you feel this kind of competitive thing. And in the newspaper, the only confirmation I get that anyone's read it is I like rush to the nearest like newspaper stand. Like I'm in the like 60s or something. And then I like pick it out and then I see if anyone's like taken one or like if they haven't, I just take it and then I cut out my comic and I put it on my fridge for my roommates to look at. But that's like the only... The only, which is kind of nice because then I'm like, okay, like, I don't know, maybe everyone saw it, maybe no one saw it, regardless, I did it. Like, it's yeah. less, less nerve wracking, but Instagram is definitely immediate feedback and that's fun in a way. So how is the student newspaper at your former school, the University of San Diego, different than the Commonwealth Times at VCU? Is there really a difference? Yeah. Commonwealth Times is, I think, more um, organized, not more organized, but they have more resources. <laughs> like, they have more, like, going on. Like, they have, I remember seeing a Commonwealth Times newspaper, and it was, like, pictures from a protest the night before that I was at, and I was like, how did they get that? Like, how did they already print that? Like, for my oh, old yeah, I was like, did, you, like, what is this, Harry Potter, where, like, the newspapers, like, I was so impressed. Um and my old school, the newspaper, I remember having to submit my comics like four days in advance or something, or like they would notify me of the theme or like what they needed a graphic for day of. And I would be like, okay, let me get my creative cloud mind going and just make something right now. <laughs> and then like have to produce something for them like within that day. And here they have other cartoonists, which is great. And my other school, I was the only one. And they have themes, which is great, which makes you, like, have some sort of boundaries. Because when you're, like, make a comic about anything, it's like, ah. But they have themes at BCU, which is nice. And then they also have, like, set deadlines. So, like, on Saturday, I always submit a comic, mm. which is nice. Are there other female cartoonists on staff? or mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah. They have, um, I don't hang out with them because it's all online, which is a bummer. But yeah, I was going to ask if there's any kind of relationship. I, I have a relationship with my editor, Lauren, and she got me to do another comic magazine for VCU, which is really fun. And that's like, I did my first like five page, like long format, which was like, I turned it in last night. So I was like, I'm still reeling from that experience, but it was really fun to like challenge yourself to do like a really long story um but i wish i could hang out with the other cartoonists i read their cartoons and they're very oh. funny 
Yeah, because most of your work is single panel work, right? Yeah, yeah. So five pages. Totally what? different. Yeah. yeah. So what was your process for that? They have a whole set process, which was oh. they, were like, they were like, this is what you're going to do. And I was like, oh, okay, great, because I would never know how to do that. Um, they have meeting. They had meetings every week, and they would have deadlines. So first you write which was nice. Like first you write your script or your, I guess it's a script, um, which I was like, okay, great. Creative writing. I know I can do that. So you would write it first and then you would basically like make your um, like script double space and then just pick what you could put in one panel and then just like panel every dialogue you had and like however you wanted, but it had to fit within five pages. So Okay, so let's give listeners a sense of your visual style. Okay. And let's move on to describing some of the comics for them. Okay. What you your comics actually look like, besides usually being single panels. Yeah, that's, yeah, there's more. There's more to them. Um, oh, do you want me to? Okay, yeah. All right, so basically, I, um, if you, if anyone listening reads comics um i would say it's a mix of like i don't know if anyone's seen like zitz cartoons like it's yeah. colorful like them i don't know i don't know it's they're okay this is harder than i thought um they're not very detailed so i basically just do like black and white outlines of like little characters pretty rounded shapes like everyone has pretty like soft facial features and like soft elbows like no sharp edges really and then i um color them normally like pastel colors like soft mm -hmm. fun colors and um a little shading so it's basically just like a black and white outline that i like highlight and color in and they're very childlike kind of like a child kids children's book um and how else would I describe them? Like, kind of like some of the New Yorker cartoons, like very simple, like flat, outlined people. And then, but then I add color. So they're different than the New York cartoons. I add like pinks and oranges and purples, but. Yeah, no, I think that's a great start. I think that definitely will give people a beginning of an image. So I will start by describing one of the cartoons that you submitted to me in advance. And I think it's a wonderful example of uh, our psychological state <laughs> just as a society. So we have two alien type creatures and they are in their spaceship. They're looking out the window and earth seems to be on fire, scorched, uh, dripping, maybe spinning around. And there's a big banner that says, pardon our mess. And one of, one of the aliens is saying, they knew we were coming, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because that's sometimes what I say to like people when I'm at someone's house and they haven't cleaned up. I'm like, they knew we were coming. Like, I'm not like walking in on them right now, right? Like, <laughs> like, like they had advance notice. <laughs> yeah. Like they did the, I know they didn't do the dishes, but like they still knew we were coming. Okay, cool. Like that's what I think. <laughs> I love the facial expressions of the aliens in this comic. And of course the earth. I just like that there's so much going on with it. It, it is such a mess. <laughs> it's so chaotic. <laughs> and I just like the banner, like who put that there? I don't know. Like some like space cadet was like, we need to cover that guy because that planet's a mess. There's also a little something coming out of it. Is there a rocket ship or... Yeah, there's, there's, I think, let me, I'm, or like pieces of the earth too. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're falling apart. <laughs> and this one is black and white. There's no color in this one. Mm -hmm. um, the next one has what appears to be a little girl with her mother. The little girl has her head in her mother's lap. And she's saying, you listen to my dreams, even when you're not in them. 
And this one is in color. This does have the softer pastel colors that you were describing. Um, yeah. The mom has a very sweet, endearing look on her face. I just yeah. know how engaged she is looking at her, her little girl with all that adoration. <laughs> yeah, that is like very much my mom. Like, I think I, I just drew us, like, but me as like definitely like a 12 year old. Um, <laughs> like, I didn't realize I was doing that. But um, yeah, that's just a, that's the thing. Like, my mom always asked me about my dreams, even when she's not in them, which is like, dreams are boring. Like when you hear about someone else's dream, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, this is such a scattered story. Yeah. And if, especially if you're not even in it, you're like, I'm so disengaged. But my mom always asks about them, even when she knows she's not going to be in it. And so that's just a, that was a sweet one for my mom. Yeah, no, it is very sweet. But I think it's relatable. I hope that everyone has, maybe they don't have a parental relationship like this, but I hope they have someone in their lives who wants to listen to their dreams <laughs> yeah, it's valentine's day hopefully we'll yeah return. we are recording on valentine's day <laughs> which some people would be like uh <laughs> no one's listening to my dreams no one cares about my dreams <laughs> so it's like oh gosh i need to get out there <laughs> all right could you describe the third comic to us sure the third one is um a long panel it's horizontal and you start viewing it from the top left corner and there's a a guy there um and he has a bag that's like a, a huge santa claus like toy bag but there's like soup coming out of it kind of and the bag says feelings so this guy is like pouring this feelings mush into this filter and then it's going into this like like big other tank that's like doing something inside but we don't really know and that tank says like suppression so he's suppressing his feelings and from there the mush goes through this long like tube slide that curves up and that slide's called like extra energy and then out of that tube is wind which is labeled creativity and then that wind condenses. It's like a science. It's like a science lesson. Um, that wind condenses, <laughs> condenses into a cloud. And then the cloud rains. And that rain is labeled sadness. And then that filters into an espresso machine. And from that espresso machine, it pours fresh coffee. And then someone's drinking the coffee. So that's just a me thing. I love caffeine. And I <laughs> tend to avoid my feelings. And I'll be like, I'll just make a cup of coffee. Like, it'll just, I'll just avoid whatever that is. And I'll just go get some caffeine and see if that changes anything. But I do like the way your eyes move through the cartoon. It's like you follow this process. And then, like, you see the end. And there's someone drinking coffee. But I also yeah. spelled coffee wrong. In the <laughs> I noticed that too, but I still love it. <laughs> yeah. I was like drinking coffee and was like on caffeine. And I was like, oh, I'll just submit it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that this is so visual. Yes, it has words in it, but it's definitely visual storytelling. And I also like the little mm -hmm. facial expression on the person who's holding the cup of coffee mm -hmm. they have their little hands wrapped around the mug and they just look so content and they also have like this messy curly hair like maybe they just woke up and they have a little bit of bedhead going on yeah. <laughs> which I also like um yeah and like you said it's kind of like a science lesson it's kind of like a diagram that you would see in a science textbook <laughs> yeah condensation evaporation they're all present Yes. <laughs> so I noticed that you did sign all of these comics, all three of them. <laughs> so I guess you like these ones. <laughs> yeah, I shifted after like my brother was like, you really have to sign these. Like we can't publish this because we have to have give credit to someone like this is illegal. And I was like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'll write my name. So I started writing my name after after a semester. Yeah. So our listeners can see more of Audrey's comics on Instagram. Again, the handle is A-U-J-J-D-R-A-W-S. And there are plenty of black and white and color images for you to see. There are also some illustrations, uh, some 
postcards, some small paintings. So there's also other kinds of artwork for you to look at. Nice. Thank you for entertaining me and describing your own comic, something that you drew. <laughs> I already drew it. Why do I have to describe it now? <laughs> yeah. So what room do you think comics leave for community engagement or social justice? Um, anything beyond just being cute? funny little jokes. I see more and more my generation and I think people talk about like Gen Z as being a visual learners. Um, I think the way that we just talked about that last comic, like there was a whole story within that. And there was like a whole, like you followed a story, you followed something through a page, even though it's just one panel is really useful, I think for social justice or for communicating concepts to people who haven't experienced prejudice or haven't experienced like systematic like pain or anything like that. I think it could give them a segue to understand that a little bit more and efficiently and that they don't maybe have time to read a whole um, like, research paper about it and hopefully they do later but maybe this like quick visual would be like oh I, that makes sense like that story makes sense or like how that could happen to someone makes sense I should look into it or like I should call someone or text someone to learn more or something like that I think is a nice way for comics to get involved directly to like social justice Black Lives Matter yeah and humor is just so powerful it appeals to everybody, even if we have different brands of humor. Everybody likes to smile and laugh. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it's not, even if there is a very serious message, sometimes it's just easier to appeal to somebody without being so serious at first to find the humor in that pain <laughs> and suffering. Um, and people let their guard down with humor, too. Yes. People yeah. who might not otherwise. People who yeah. might be really defensive about mm -hmm. something. Yeah. I feel like humor makes people just want to join in into whatever is happening. Like you just want to get in there somehow. And I, so I think that's kind of like a feeling we don't get that much right now. Like you don't, I don't know, I think there could be a lot of negativity just currently. And I think if you could get people who don't have similar experiences, just get in on this one thing, humor, comedy or whatever, um, they could get to talking about everything, like not just jokes. Yeah, no, definitely. So what sort of social messages do you have in mind while you're creating and how interested are you in making explicit work versus implicit work? Um, so like most of my, like my five page, comic that I worked on was about living while well, my roommates are guys and so it was about just being like the only girl like in this new environment and because I'm like a white woman that's kind of the only time I felt like different or like that like I was like oh this is so noticeable like comments they're making are so noticeable like that like offend me or like stuff like that like I never really was in a consistent environment where that happened to me like I was fortunate enough but um, at that whole cartoon strip, like, sequence, I think definitely made me more, like, eager to do other stories like that, where, like, you don't have, like, people don't have a voice or a place to talk about something that's happening to them, and they want to tell someone so they can draw it, or they can, like, write it and post it. Um, and um, for my research paper last semester, I did racial demographics in New Yorker cartoons, which, <laughs> which is pretty low. Um, and I always idolized when in my intro, I'm like, Oh, I want to be in the New Yorker. The only black woman to get into the New Yorker as a New Yorker cartoonist. I, she started in 2019 and they've, the wow. New Yorker magazine has been there since 19, like 20 or 15, like 25. And like, the fact that I missed that was upsetting. Like the fact that I didn't even like, I idolize these cartoons always. I have posters, but like, I never even caught on to that. And I think if 
like everyone thought of everything they liked and like thought about like, oh, who does this include? Who does this not include? Mm -hmm. Um, I think we could have better conversations or have more efficient, productive conversations. But um, that research paper definitely made me realize like, oh, if I'm just drawing myself, I'm only drawing a white girl. Like you, you can draw yourself because it's easier. It's your story, but that doesn't limit your drawings to only drawing white people or only drawing women or only drawing like a identity that conforms to society. And so it inspired me definitely to expand like different racial characters, non-binary, all those types of identities. What exactly was the assignment that brought you to do that research paper? It was a completely open assignment. You just had to pick a a topic, like a topic of <laughs> like, <anything. laughs> yeah, like a topic of like, it was basically just an intro class on how to start a research paper, how to make like oh, a full force research paper. So I just chose that because I was like, Oh, like I want to get into New Yorker and see like, let's see what I can find out. And then I was like, wait, none, like there's a problem here. None of these characters are anything but white, normally white guys or like, couples like white women and their husbands like especially earlier on so I just wanted to like go through the whole history of how that got to be what about uh white female cartoonists in the New Yorker did you have a chance to look at that yeah but there's like Liza Donnelly and she's like a really big name and she they have like there's a couple of them that start in the 80s and um they have like books now, like how they broke into the like cartoonist world because like a lot of it was just like guys who like would submit for the New Yorker, knew the editor, and then would go for drinks after. Like they would just kind yeah. of like it was like a guys like a, just a club really. Right. And um, like how white women first got in there, would they had to like submit a thousand times, or they dated in the pool of guys that were there, yeah. and then they got in, and it's like that kind of environment if it's that selective like how is this representative of america at all or like new york at all like new york's the most <laughs> it just didn't make any sense like it's the new yorker magazine and like the images we're putting out there are just this one like elite little group mm -hmm. um but as far as like the research i did on the literature of what white women experience going into New Yorker cartoons. They're very into like getting more women in there, but I, I don't know if they even thought as much about like having other races. Like I, it wasn't really what they talked about. Like they were so pressed on getting like other girls, like other people that were like them or like their friends or their relatives that were probably white um, in as well. And I think they kind of missed the, target of like there's this huge whole other group of people that aren't white but are women and would love to write for or draw for New Yorker and yeah well that's definitely an issue that a lot of places have with diversity there'll be a white man's club right and then they get some white woman there and they check the box and say yeah. Look, we have women now too yeah. okay well what about everybody else yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's like it aligns with the waves of feminism that kind of just like came up in America. Like we just, it was like white women first and then like, and then they were like, I guess we're done. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah. Your parents or, or teachers or was there somebody when you were little who introduced you to the New Yorker or did you just kind of stumble across it in the library? I, yeah, I found them at my friend's house because I would go to her house every day after school and middle school because my parents were both working. And so I'd spend like dinner there until like late in the night. And they have the most like a culture to collect. Like they traveled all over the world before they came to DC. They work with like foreign service and like my friend's dad is like works with Yemen. They just like are very well traveled and like have all these cool artwork or like stuff in their house. And they'd have like just on their coffee table, it was like a glass coffee table. And like underneath is just like stacks of the New Yorker. Like it's just stacks, like just like all these different covers that were very appealing to me. And I just was like, oh, well, I'm not going to read these, but like I'll look through them. And then I would find the like little drawings or like cartoons and I'd be like, oh, 
those are funny. Or I wouldn't get them. Normally, I wouldn't get them. I'd be frustrated. I'm like, these don't even make sense. Yeah, I was just like, am I not smart? Like, what's going on? Like, they're just, like, it would be like two turtles talking about, like, scarves. And I'd be like, why is this funny? Like, what, what's going on? Um, and so I think I was just competitive and was like, oh, I need to get these because, like, everyone in this house does. And so I just kept reading them. And then I got them. And then I liked them. And then I wanted to do them. That's so neat. You're lucky that you had someone who had a subscription. <laughs> I know. I, like, I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, I happened to have a friend who was that, that cool. Really props to my friend. Props to my friend's family. All right. So in addition to making comics, you also do more literary writing. And I was hoping that you would read one of your short stories, something that we published on Quail Bell magazine recently. Uh, it's this really beautiful story called Leather. I'll let you take it from here. Okay, cool. I love reading a lot. Okay. Um, all right. So this is a short story I wrote. Um, it's called Leather, as it's just stated. And um, I wrote it as um, a work off the colors, off of colors, pink and blue. So they're scattered throughout the story. <clears throat> On the cold, wet tiles of the sink, I spit my last thought and turned off the light. The hospital bed was warm and you kept the light on before 7 p.m. and the hall light on after 9 p.m. No one was in our room during the eight o'clock meal. I drenched my salad with Thousand Isle dressing and you lifted your back in pain as you put the tray down. We shared the ketchup. You've worn that watch for seven years now and I can't tell the time anymore without looking outside in the morning after or before the ceiling told me to stop staring. We climbed the stairs together to remind my body it didn't always need lab tubes and you have worn wrinkly blue bottom socks in solidarity for two hours today. I wish the doctors put a clipboard at the end of my bed. Then I could feel checked off by the doctors most days. Then, they could leave a note to my parents to bring a better sleeping bag next time and for them to pick me up in the morning. I slept with you last night and you left your car running the day we met during rehearsal. It was a soggy day and I liked talking to the valet coat lady who I now know is called a concierge. Please don't leave me, not until the morning. I waited for two days to not get worried. Also, the pink of the nurse's back and the blue of her padded socks have left me feeling dry in the mouth. She wears her hair curled up just so tight. I wonder why I never, and I wonder why I never watch Bugs Bunny at night. But then I remember it's because I watch it every day, morning and afternoon on her name tag as she reaches across to my right arm to flick the catheter that's more hers than mine. Calm pink and harsh blue, and I take you. I take you away from me, away from the blood and the spills and the nights I don't want to look at the corner of my pillow anymore. Most nights I'm scrunched, feeling your weight and the way you leave your leather brown pockets on the corner chair. I love that jacket. You got it in Missoula? I've never been to Cabo and I don't see why I won't fly there soon. You bring me waves of hot chocolate, but lately I haven't been sipping. Lately, I haven't seen much of either of us, and I miss the way I used to stand so congratulatory to the nurses who got to see us. You'll survive if he keeps looking that fine, they'd say, cracking up with laughter down the hall with their styrofoam cups of coffee and their hair pulled back, scrunching their knees as they walk because they laugh at things they don't understand. You are sick in love with me, and I have eight years to live, Max which is actually a pretty good time grid for an undergrad and a master's degree. I'm getting mine in April, two years from now. I'll write to you again and write about you to the editor down the hall. He has influenza and will die from it because his mom either loved him too much or not at all. He is on his way to 60 with a birthday on the 8th of November and will die from the common cold. All the numbers have got to hurt. Maybe that's why doctors call me so many times and I call you at 4, 5, and 6 p.m. 
waiting for you to get off the five south so I can learn about your morning as your Mazda sits in traffic. Is it still blue? I can't tell from my new window that doesn't face the parking lot anymore. Pink lemonade is hard to remember when your parents don't make it for you anymore. And I want you to know that I would make it for our kids as soon as they got home from school and watch them sit at our counter with math sheets they should really just draw on. I love you and the way you crinkle your hair when you don't put gel in it. And I think the day you met my illness, you made a promise to never mistake happiness for recovery. I'll miss you for that. And pray you'll never waste a day missing me. Enjoy the pink lemonade. Actually, just come over right now. I know you have the mornings off and the Rose Bowl is almost starting. The floor is very quiet and everyone's awake. Please make your way through security softly and ring the doorbell twice. I will miss playing make-believe deal or no deal with you. I hope this time you land on the lottery without your luscious locks and laugh as you go bald like Howie Mandel. Yay! Yay! <laughs> writing! Yay! I would love for you to talk about the use of blue and pink in this story. Yeah, um, that was like, um, I think me and my friends, we, we did this creative writing class and we like just got latched onto colors. So like we each like wrote them down and then like picked two. And then I got those two ones, which are like pretty easy, like pink and blue. It's like, they're like familiar colors. Some people got like really hard, like maroon and like gray or like something hard. And I got pink and blue, but um when I think of like light pink and light blue, I just think of like the nurse's office. Like I, I just thought immediately of like going to the like pediatrician when I was little. And yeah. then um, I, I don't know this story. I just, I didn't really plan. I think I just started writing it. Yeah. I, I just love how sad it is too. <laughs> so sad. No, it's so sad. And I, I was surprised like after, like I was rereading it before I published it and I was like, Oh my God, Audrey, are you okay? Like, like, like this has never happened to me. Like I've never had like to tell someone I'm going to die. Like it was, it's just very like, I don't know. I don't know where I came from. I don't know. So this creative writing class, this was a college class or this was like a summer camp or what? Oh, no, this is a college class. Yeah. This is oh, okay. 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 <laughs> yeah. I wish it was summer camp. Um, so what other writing have you been doing at school? Um, well, I write kind of a lot to process things. Like I journal all the time. Like that's just something I've always done. But um, last semester, I did more research writing. So I would do creative writing in like my free time, like just to process stuff. And moving to Richmond from DC and just never living here before, I wrote a lot because I was just like, oh my God, I don't know what's happening. Like, let me just write this down and see if it makes sense when I write it down. Um, and then in San Diego, I did a lot of, I did a creative writing class and then I did a poetry class and um, I did like a English literature class, but was like very abstract. Like you never did any conclusions. You would just stop papers halfway through a sentence and turn it in. Like very like, what? yeah. Like she was like, you're never done thinking. So like never conclude. And we were like, okay, <laughs> I guess I just won't learn how to make a great conclusion then. Okay. Um, so that was cool. So it was like not a creative class, but like probably definitely a creative writing teacher who just got stuck with that subject. But um, yeah. Well, you mentioned being new to Richmond. Uh, so when exactly did you transfer to VCU? When did you move to Richmond? I moved in August. So like this last August, 2020. So wow. yeah, so a chaotic and fascinating time to I know. Richmond, Virginia. So for those who don't know, um, of course, we had George Floyd protests happen across the country. But Richmond was one of the cities that uh, received national news coverage for its response to uh, the removal of Confederate statues um, there. I mean, I wasn't there, 
I've lived there. You were there. I would love for you to talk about what it was like to come to Richmond in the summertime when so much was going on. (laughs) Yeah, so much was going on. And like, so much was going on in DC as well, but it was kind of dying down. But I remember when I drove with my mom for her to move me in, we were like, I don't know if like these roads are going to be open. Like things were still very like, like I think there had been a car on fire the night before we arrived just a lot of stuff was going on. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to move in. Um, <laughs> but, bye mom. Um, and like, I remember at night we would hear protests and like normally me and my roommates, especially on like near election day, this is like a little bit later than the summer we would go out and like protest with them, but it was more like of an implied, like, this is what we're doing. Like, if you're in this neighborhood like this is what we're doing like we're all out right now and we're going to marcus davis peter circle or like that's what's happening like it wasn't much of a decision like i remember just being like in spaces where like it wasn't even a thought of whether i would go out or not it was just like this is what well sorry what were you gonna stay at home like it wasn't even like a question um And so that was really cool and really cool to be a part of so immediately. Like I just got here and like suddenly you're a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, So that was really nice. Welcoming to Richmond. Great city. Definitely. 10 out of 10. (laughs) Um, And in a way it's the protest atmosphere was different in DC just because of that kind of like, and like just, expectation that this is what we're going to do as a community and I think because DC is bigger and like because there's like a lot of just different like neighborhoods different communities like the organization had to be much more planned in advance like for a DC protest or demonstration because it wasn't as tight-knit like it wasn't as tight-knit as everyone's just going to get out of their house tonight like without any notification like we're all going to leave um so that's kind of like a cool difference I noticed just like DC would have like planned on Instagram or like planned like we'd be networking like kind of like it's like funny because it's like that's what you do in DC anyway like people are always networking (laughs) like politics like they're always trying to get like connected um but yeah those those are like the this is just notice of the two cities but yeah do you have a specific memory from any of the protests oh yeah Oh yeah, they're, they're all there. What's um, one that you want to share? Um, I don't know. Would you want from like DC or, or Richmond? I guess Richmond, maybe. How about one of each? Okay, okay. Um, the most like intense one in DC was like the week that Trump walked out with the Bible upside down. That week, um, and like we were. I wasn't there that day, but I was there the day before. So the same amount of like military presence and like rubber bullet guns everywhere just very high and very intense and also i was very much in quarantine before that week or like before that month and being in a group was very weird um but i remember being there with my two neighbors and like just feeling like this like i felt so offended that like our city was being like a city i grew up in was being so militarized and just like we had a curfew and i know every a lot of cities have this but i just felt so like personally like hurt like you know i don't know you like there were a lot of military that didn't have any sign on them like they just wore black and i was like i don't know you at all i don't know who you stand for i don't know who you're with i don't like it was just very tense but i remember being in front of the white house and um everyone was like giving out snacks. Everyone was like (laughs) on each other. Like there were definitely like, just like on like Black Lives Matter Plaza, which is what it's called now. They had like different like people like doing artwork or like selling stuff. But there was one time that was very tense near the front of like where the gates were and someone threw like a soda can over, like some guy threw a soda can over. And then I think that's when like everyone cleared out because like they were threatening rubber bullets. And that was just like a very intense day. Um, And I remember also like deciding to like, I was the first time I'd been in such a big group like that. We're like, Hmm. like, okay, like this, the white house, we're going to march now. Like, because like people are throwing stuff, like we're all going to march. 
and then we'd like do chants but it was just like a good collective group and there were just so many of us like hundreds of us and it was like just the most important day of that summer like week of that summer um and it was like near the white house and we were all like this is crazy like uh, the fact that this yeah we were just all in shock that we've done this but yeah so what about in richmond what's a powerful memory probably inauguration or not inauguration day let's see election night i think was the night that we were all in our house and like people were just outside and we could hear them and we all left because like people were outside and we all walked to like Marcus David Peters circle, which is where the statue is. Um, and where we the like, Lee statue is? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, and people were calling out like the States that had gone blue or like mm-hmm. what the total were like as we were walking and there were like a lot of cars, playing music and it was just it was a lot of young people um and it was just more of like a celebration more like I think we were all kind of like eager and excited and like feeling like this election was going to change for the better like we had like a very positive outlook and we got to Marcus David Peter's circle people were like barbecuing and like even though it was like I don't know it's like a midnight I don't know what time it was and um and then I think everyone was just chatting and we were just talking and there were a lot of police, but like they weren't near you or like they weren't trying to like shut anything down. Um, and Which I think the difference from a lot of the summer, right? Yeah. Been a yeah. lot of violence. Yeah. That was a big difference. I think I know that DC police like aren't as harsh, but like just the active like military presence in DC was very like, anxious and just like I didn't know what was they were gonna do or what people I don't know it was just a lot of uncertainty in here it felt like a, an agreement like we're gonna do this and you guys are gonna stay over there and we're gonna stay here and like we're allowed to do this mm-hmm. it felt more like good better communication well because Trump wasn't five yeah. months away from where you were standing <laughs> So for listeners who are not aware, Richmond is about two hours south of Washington, D.C. And having lived, I've never lived in D.C. I've lived in Arlington and Alexandria and parts of Virginia that end Maryland, that border D.C. But I think most people who have lived in both places would agree that culturally they are very different. (laughs) very different (laughs) they're very different (laughs) the dc vibe is very like um i don't know kind of corporate-y like kind of like we're all like a lot of suit wears and like they're like more planning and like i don't know um it's just type a A, just extreme type a and richmond is a lot slower even when there's stuff going on it's still Uh, it's still slow but people are all also like always down to do things like I feel like everyone's so scheduled like you can't (laughs) like take an hour in between my lunch like I call me in a month but I feel like in Richmond like you could be like oh we're doing like a like a car parade you want to join like yeah like all right like well I'll I'll just turn here I'll just go that way um so yeah, and Richmond is also very creative, which is one of the reasons why I'm so happy that you have done this postcard project that we're going to be publishing at quailbellmagazine.com. Could you describe what that is for our listeners really quickly before we wrap up? Yeah, sure. I moved here in August and I didn't know anyone and I didn't know where anything was. So I would just like walk around or like bike around and like find cool buildings. Cause if you come to Richmond, it's very visual. Architecture is really pretty. There's like a hundred murals here. People are doing their own art. They hang their own art up. It's just very like pleasing to look around in. And so I would go on walks, try and orient myself. And then I would just draw like buildings or like fountains or like stores I thought were cute. And then I would like, 
cut them out of the paper age or the one. And then I just like write someone's address that I knew because I didn't know anyone here. I was trying to like tell someone about something I was experiencing. And then I'd be like, this is like this cafe. Like you should definitely come here and like come visit me or like you would love oh. them or like something like that. Like not that I was that lonely, but I definitely <laughs> wanted to describe what I was doing to someone who was familiar. And so I did like, I think like 10, 10 or 12 postcards that I sent to just like people. I put it on my Instagram. Like, if you want one, like, let me know. And then that got so many responses. I was like, whoa, I don't know if I can do like, wait, I don't know how many postcards I can do here. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and it was just a fun thing for me to do. I just had like a lot of time when I first moved here honestly and I didn't know what to do with myself so I walked around and then I drew and then I sent people letters stamps are really expensive if anyone's didn't know that I I didn't know that stamps are expensive I figured out over the over the year yeah you can't even mail two pieces of mail for a dollar anymore I remember growing up I could mail two or three things for a dollar and now can't even do that But yeah. All right. Well, thank you. I encourage listeners to check out the postcards on Audrey's Instagram. Again, we're also going to have them up at quailbellmagazine.com. The illustrations are very lively and colorful and engaging. I think they do a great job of just capturing the vibe of Richmond and um, a lot of the historic architecture that Audrey was talking about. That is all the time we have, folks. Thank you so much, Audrey. And thanks to you, listeners, for listening to the Badass Lady Folk of no longer Brooklyn, of everywhere. This podcast is for everywhere. I'm your host, Christine Sloan Stoddard. Tune in next time.